Hello, and welcome to Alter to the Muse. This is episode 15. I'm Josh, and today we're bringing you a special interview that Angie did with performance artist and filmmaker Desiree. Let's listen in. So hi, Desiree. Welcome back. I'm excited to chat with you again. Thank you so much for having me back. How are you doing today? It's snowing. Yes, I am enjoying a very lazy day. Very lazy day after a really rigorous week. Um, just wrapping up the third semester of my grad school residency. You know all about that. So um, it's it's uh, this is the semester I focus on my practicum, okay. and I'll be working with bees. Um, I'm very excited about that. You said with bees? Yes. Actual bees? Actual bees. Can you tell me more? <laughs> uh, so I guess I should start with the time that I was five and I got stung in my eye um, by a bee and my eye blew up. And then after that, I was never stung again, and I just didn't have any fear. I don't, I don't have the fear of bees that a lot of people have. I learned to be calm around them, and I learned to just kind of, I welcome them, actually, and I, I know they just kind of leave me alone. Um, and back in 2013, um, there is this yogini um, and mother, she's also an artist and a doula, among many other things. And um, she is in the Resilience Collective with me for um, the creative, her name is Pooja Prama. She's the creative director of the Rites of Passage Project. And so we do new moon and full moon offerings on Patreon uh, to keep people tuned in to the project, which was canceled in 2020 and now slated to debut in 2021. And I'll share more about that later. But Sakna, I met when I was living in Brooklyn with my two sons and um a friend of mine said we should meet and um we became friends i took her prenatal yoga teacher training and um then she we became you know close and she'd asked me to channel for different workshops and offerings a goddess for every single chakra as they moved up so she had a svadhyaya um, and this, you know, intense um, immersion through the chakras. So I would just channel and sit in meditation and visualize and listen to what was coming up for me and listen to what the ancestors were sharing with me. And I would come up with the goddess. And then all the other ones were very clear until I got to the heart chakra. And I was like, I, and I just, and I, and I did what I did with the others. I, I went into meditation and I tasted, and I'm not exaggerating, I tasted honey. And I was like, oh, the bee mothers, the bee, the bee mamas. And I, and so I wrote, um, to her, you know, what I, what I had in also in conjunction with research that I had done, um, in books and online, just what I, what I was hearing about the significance of the bee mothers and the heart and the connection to the heart and sound. So fast forward to now, um, you know, I, there, I do know people, friends who are beekeepers here in New York City. Um, one woman, her name is Bonnie Banks. She just moved to Queens, but she keeps bees on the Halsey Street Community Garden. And then another uh, keeps bees up, uptown here. So, you know, I, um, I thought it would be interesting to explore my relationship to the bees and to create a performance piece based on a, a four-month-long immersion, ideally with a, a black-owned honeybee farm. 
and beekeeper. So I'm just kind of planning out interviews and doing all of that stuff um, right now. But that's that's what that is. That's what wow. I'm doing. Wow. So you're hoping to have a performance? I am. So um, a lot. My medium is experimental film and also um, performance, right? So a lot of my stuff is rooted in fluxus, um, uh, the fluxus work of the late 60s and the feminists of the late 60s and 70s, those performance artists. So, you know, the Carolee Schneemans and Karen Finleys and Linda Montanos and Lorraine O'Grady's and Yoko Ono's, um, those are people, the, those are the artists that have uh, really inspired me. And um, the Judy Chicago and Miriam Shapiro got together and did a piece called Woman House in the late 70s. Um, and they turned an abandoned mansion in Hollywood into a performance installation space um, that addressed different um, areas and elements of women's lives. And it was a, it was, it was, done in a house. And, uh, the woman who I mentioned earlier, Pooja Prema did this, did something similar in 2015, I think it's either 2013 or 2015. And then in 2020, she said, I want to do this, but I want to focus on BIPOC experiences. And, um, and so the room that I'm working in and curating and performing in is called dissolution. And I mean, we all know a lot about that right now, but that's, <laughs> That is, um, that's the room that I'm working on. Um, and so a lot of my, my offerings every new moon are connected to some element of that. And also my, my, um, my growing relationship to water and water keeping. Um, so yeah. Um, so it is going to be woven into kind of part of a larger experimental film that I'm working on. Um, but I plan on documenting it and, um, creating, I'm actually going to dance. <laughs> I'm going to create a dance. I'm, uh, and my, my advisor this semester was like, okay, so I want for you, instead of being behind the camera to be in front of the camera. I was like, no, no. <laughs> so now I have to break them. I really have to, I have to, I have to be <laughs> in front of the camera and I'm, 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 I'm scared. I have to say, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. I mean, you look at yourself, I can barely look at myself in the zoom and not be like, Oh God, you know, um, it's really, you never, you know, I know it's, I think there's truth to you don't see yourself how people see you. Oh, absolutely you know? not. Cause you're like <laughs> stunning and gorgeous. It's always so hard for me to hear that. With people. It's like, wow. Oh no, <laughs> no. You, the reflection that is so <laughs> Oh, I don't even do Facebook. I don't even do Facebook. I don't do, I'm learn. I'm trying to step into Instagram a little bit, but that's, and I still haven't posted anything. <laughs> it's like such a defunct account, but like, I just, I, and I guess over the years, seeing the ways that we've become very media obsessed and very hyper aware of our image and social images and um, social commentary on how we look, I I became very turned off by that. I just didn't want to, that didn't, that doesn't interest me. You know, I don't, I don't write any, I don't want it. I didn't want to create something or write something in order for someone to like it, you know? 
Um, and my pieces, like a lot of the pieces I've done, I don't care if you fucking like it. Excuse my French, you know, but I, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's not that you want it to be liked per se, you know, it's more received. Is there a, re a receptivity? Is there a connection? Even if it's like, oh, it's visceral, like I, I just didn't like that, it's better than nothing, you know, but I don't like, I was always taught that as in, in art school that, you know, to be, dis and, you know, even to be, un you know, to be, horrible like to have a piece that somebody's like I can't stand that is much better than to just have a piece where it's just not interesting at all to anyone to receive no feedback right. so I, I don't know I really it's I, I struggle with it because I know that there is it can be useful it can be a useful platform and I'm trying to find my rhythm with it but in terms of how I I don't know that I'll ever see my image and be like oh yeah I look stunning like that's <laughs> Oh. That is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that that's ever going to happen. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, that, um, it's that view that we have to start to really embrace, I guess. But and there's a lot of layers in that. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to back up a little bit um, sure. and ask you, you said that you had a room or you're making a room. Yes. Like, what does that mean? Like, literally like what are we talking about is it like a, a virtual room or is it an no it's a literal room it's a literal room um the house it, she's using the same house that she which was able to use uh you know back in when she did it the first time and i haven't seen which room i'm going to be in yet but my my room will be an installation and i'm also going to activate the room with a performance okay. yeah and is it a multi a level um, I think it's it's a multi-level room, yes. And there are all types of rooms. There is the, there are, um, I want, maybe I can put it in the chat. Would that be useful? Yeah. If I put, put it in there, that way you can look at it um, and learn more about the project. You can also learn more about the Resilience Collective. We are actually moving into a fundraising space right now, and I can share those materials with you later if you might be interested. Um, here is the website. Um, yeah, so I will definitely add links to those things. Oh, great. Yeah, you can learn more about me and the other members of the collective and their different and the different rooms that are there. Um, you know, just to name um, a few. And again, all of these rooms are addressing like some aspect of uh, women of color. It centers cis women experiences, um, but it's open to non-binary. Um, folks who identify um, as women as well. Um, and we are, you know, we've been really trying to get clearer about what that definition is and what does inclusiveness look like and feel like. And the one thing that is clear is we're, we, we are centering cis women experiences. But the rooms are, are, very, in, are very intense and that's a little bit separate than what is happening with the Rites of Passage project um, and I think there's over 50 curators involved um, in creating or performing in a room. And um, yeah, so you know, just check. You know, feel free to check it out at your yeah. at your leisure. But there's like an elder room, a girlhood room, a taboo room. Um, there's it's it's really quite massive. It's it's a lot to put together. <laughs> And is your is your project with the bees going to be a part of this, or is it no. separate? Yeah. No, that's separate. You're not weaving it in there in some way. 
Um, right now, it's not really. Um, so they're kind of. It seems like two different. Um, it's like two different legs of the of the journey. Um, so the room of dissolution is really going to be about the intensity of that experience. Um, what what is it's it's going to explore what it means to to you know to love to lose to um it's kind of celebrating that rite of passage right so when some when something dissolves or it breaks down right there's a fragmentation things shatter uh, foundations are broken down right into their most essential parts and then you have to pick them back up and remember those pieces so it's a little bit of that for me that's what that room is for me um, I will be definitely integrating some some things from my my practice as a priestess of Isis into the room, um, but that's what that is. And and the the B the B project feels a little bit different. It feels a little bit more generative. It's really more about pleasure. It's more about joy. It's about the heart. Um, it is about uh, finding my way into becoming myself, but more from a place of joy and um I, i'm not saying i mean dissolution isn't exactly the most joyful um experience um but i, I kind of look at them as if i were in a labyrinth it's just two different points in the labyrinth you know yeah that but i will be documenting everything mm-hmm. for sure yeah i can really see but it's interesting the um the the interplay between those actual those two concepts of like pleasure desire joy and dissolution and mm-hmm. and um and it's and it, yeah yeah time. and i think the hard thing about dissolution is we stay there a lot of times we stay there and i feel like this has to do with that container for death conversation um what do you do when everything falls apart I've been, I've had so many different moments in my life where things have fall, fell apart, um, fallen apart. Um, you know, I can think of so many instances. I remember the time that I came out as bisexual to my family and them not, you know, my, my parents, you know, not wanting to have anything to do with me um, for a little while. That was a type of dissolution. You know, you remember different things like from your childhood. I remember the first time that, you know, um, I experienced a real moment of fear around my parents arguing um, and um, certain abusive things that took place in my life. Um, that was a moment of dissolution. <laughs> you know, I can think of so many, so many. Um, the time that you know, I'm not with my son's father and remarried. Our our separation was a was a was a absolute moment, earth shattering moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there's you know, oh, the the stepping into motherhood, right? And that transition from, oh, wow, that world is done. <laughs> the one that was before this, that's a type of dissolution, right? So just kind of marking those experiences for myself um, is a type of, I, I feel is its own, um, its own marker toward uh, renewal, Right, that's the promise of the dissolution. Is there is also renewal on the, on the other end of that? There is the promise of new life that can be generated as you remember the pieces. You know. So, if you could define dissolution um, in some way, what, how would you do that? Um, I would say, you know, 
I've actually written this down. Because when I think of dissolution and, and how I've been exploring it through the Resilience Collective is through water, through this container of water, mm-hmm. um, and or weaving in a connection to water in some way, shape, or form in everything that I'm doing uh, within that lens. So I would say dissolution is the breaking down of a, of a, of a form, <laughs> you know, into... Um, into fragments. Um, it's a dissolving, mm-hmm. right, of something into something else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you think about substances that dissolve in water, right, like how, how, how it just takes on, you know, water will take on the qualities of the thing that is dissolved in it. And I try to think about that as a human being that is made of mostly water, you know, how we, how our bodies remember what has been broken down and, and, you know, where, um, and what that process is like, like how, how can that, what, what happens if I consciously invite dissolution, um, or the destruction of something into my life, meaning the things I've outgrown or the things that don't serve me, um, or the things that I'm ready to let go of that I've been carrying, what happens if you willingly surrender, mm-hmm. you know, to that, this process of losing, shattering the ego, you know, you know, shattering your sense of self or who you thought you were or the foundation you thought you were standing on or yeah. I think I would, it would be, it would be somewhere in there. I don't have a yeah. textbook. <laughs> that's, no, that's a really good description. Yeah. It, 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 it really defines it nicely. I think it's what came up in my mind as you were talking was the idea of water and definitely the idea of how um, things dissolve within water. But when I think of things like, I guess that's interesting. So I'm wondering what you think about this. Like how does fire relate to that? Cause when I think of things dissolving, I often defer to fire, but mm-hmm. this is a slightly different um, thinking around. Mm-hmm. All of the elements have the capacity to, dissolve or, or dissolve of something or someone, you know, like fire, it just seems like the process by which that happens is different. So fire is this warming, um, sort of raging, you know, um, it hasn't, uh, those are the, uh, some of the essential qualities. It, it is warming. It is, um, it can be dangerous. I mean, it's something that you can create with, right? It has this creative um, element to it, but it's also something that you can destroy, that can burn up the world, right? We can, and when it's raging out of control, it's a passionate type of energy that is generative in that sense. Um, so I, you know, I feel like when something is on fire, there is a, things collapse, but, um, I think there is a collapse, right, that takes place when you see a piece of paper burning, you see it, it's the way that it collapses, you know, but, you know, people who ha- whose, whose homes have been, you know, washed away by hurricanes or monsoons or tsunamis, you know, it's the way that it's, it, the destruction takes place, right? There is a definite cut, there's a definite destruction in both elements, element of destruction. It's just the way that it gets just, you know, destroyed with water. I feel like, you know, um, 
I feel like all of a sudden, I'm just having a vision of like uh, the aftermath of tsunamis and seeing all of the debris floating down the highway, you know, of a, someone's house or someone's car or, you know, um, and, and then when you see the devastation left behind by a forest fire, you know, like just what that looks like, what, what is left, it's like the record of what is left or, or how it's destroyed, I feel like doesn't, it doesn't make the experience of loss any different, you know what I mean, it's still, there's a loss that takes place either way. Um, I'm just thinking about the impact of the, of water, uh, um, and how water has memory, how water remembers, can water is a sentient, and it is a proven sentient entity, um, and it has an intelligence and it, it remembers. And I just keep thinking about what happens in the aftermath of this destruction and, when there's oil spills and when there's, you know, all kinds of substances that have been dissolved into the water. The water just takes everything. It takes everything into itself and just keeps moving. It keeps flowing. You know, with, with fire, I feel like um, fire really um, devastates and ravages and um, disintegrates things to the point of no recognition, no, like, it. the, the only... When it burns, when when fire burns something down, um, unless you have a few fragments of, you know, paper or, you know, it's very difficult to see the memory of what that thing was before. Yeah. You know, it's very um, it erases. It, it there's like a, it it's, it has a it has a way of extinguishing things um, that where you 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 don't get to really see the remnants of what was before. You know, water, I feel that there's still traces of memory of what certain things were. Or you can take water that is contaminated and say, oh, this is what was in it, and this is what was in it, and this is what was in it. So and in fire, I think maybe it has to do with the memory. Yeah. Say that again? And with fire, those things, I mean, there probably is on some molecular level still there, but not in the same way that water holds that. But I think the, what I heard you saying, it sounded to me like that the idea that water is alive, there's something about it that's alive. Um, it's just an yes. entity and it has memory. Mm -hmm. that fire doesn't seem to have memory. That's not a no, and that's, or what, what's interesting is, so fire can light your way, right? Fire can light your way. Fire can illuminate right? It can illuminate something. Um, and, and water can also illuminate something too. And just, in, but it's a, in a very different way. Well, I think of fire rituals that involve uh, burning, right? Of things and why the element of fire is, is chosen, you know? So for some shadow work, a lot of times when I'm working with women and based on things that I've learned from my teachers um, in my spiritual lineage, um, the act of burning something is really this act of you don't want to remember. You do want it to be released back into the into the into Akash. You do want it completely rid yourself of something or someone, right? A memory, uh, some uh, a habit, you know, um, you know, a, a painful trauma of some kind. Burning rituals are really common, like with writing it down. Uh, you know, take ritually um, and ceremonially burning it and then giving it back to the earth, right? Or back to a body of water. So, um, or 
you know, you, you spread those things at the crossroads. Like you get, you get, you give it to the crossroads. There's so many, um, ways of using fire in ceremony. Um, you know, the, the, the fire ceremony, there's so many fire ceremonies, first of all, and they're not always, they're not all the same, but it's a, I, it, I feel that it is a, uh, it's like a, I want to say bonding, but I, like a, like a bonding agent or like a, mm-hmm. like a, I'm not sure that I have the word for it, but kind of like when you are making a contract with someone or, or something, you know? Um, yeah. I like the, I, the releasing idea really rang for me when you talked about fire, like it's like mm-hmm. you really need to let that go. That's when, when fire is, but but and that releasing is a little different than dissolution. That maybe that's it, right? Because dissolution isn't a total release; it's a shift and a change. Some other- it is a shift and a change, but it can be. It's something that I feel like a lot of times happens um, because you're forced to experience the loss. It's a loss that it's not like you you were conscious of. So I have a card um, in my tarot deck. I wonder if I should get it. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Hang on. So I have a, this is, um, this is a deck that was created by Nick Douglas and Penny Slinger um, called the Secret Dakini Oracle that was gifted to me by a friend a long time ago. And I've been using it for 15 years, but I've been reading for about 25 years. Uh, let's see. Where is she? She's here, hiding. And they're just really fun. And um, she's this photo montage and, you know, this is, this is the magician. Oh, yeah. The Canadians. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are really funny cards, you know, as well. When, this is high tension. <laughs> Um, totally bananas. <laughs> and, uh, one of my favorites, I just got to show you this and then I'll, I'll, I found the card. I'll show you. Uh, and my, one of my favorites, dangerous pussy. Oh, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> so there's that. So here's the card I was talking about and it's Kali. And it's called Slay the Ego, right? Mm-hmm. And this is normally, um, in the traditional Western tarot, this would be the hanged man, right? right? So this card, so the hanged man is, you know, features uh, usually some character that is hanging by their foot, you know, upside down to, and you know, the foot is tied to a branch on the tree and you're hanging upside down. So you, you're for, it's, it's not comfortable, <laughs> you know, it's not a comfortable experience to be hanging upside down by one foot, but you're forced to look at things very differently from that angle, right? And I've seen other versions of that card. Um, Julia Kuchia Watts in the Ancestral Path Tarot has a card. She, uh, uh, that for, for that particular, for this uh, major arcana card, it's um, an image of a baby in utero. And 
you know, upside down, you know, and so really kind of looking at life from a very different perspective. And so here's Kali brandishing her sword, cutting away the ego, right? Um, and that's what the head symbolizes. So she's known as the terrible mother, right, of destruction, of dissolution. And she comes to take from you the things that no longer serve you, right? She's also, she destroys with love. She destroys with compassion. Um, Oya, who is the guardian of my head, is very, if they're, the, the relationship between those two goddesses is the same. They're very, they're virtually the same. They're the same entity. Um, here she is with her sword. Um, and Oya brandishes machetes, right? So she doesn't come to have tea. <laughs> she, she's going to wake you up. She's going to shake you up, and she's going to wake you up. And, it's, and that's what dissolution is. It's something that wakes you up um, and forces you to kind of look at your life or your experience from a very different angle, you know? Um, I did write um, something about, uh, you know, uh, water's ability to um, dissolve or what dissolution is. I just wanted to share that. Yeah. Um, you know how you go through your notes later and you're just like, I wrote that? Yeah. <laughs> All the time. You know, just like, oh. It's either like, wow, was that really me? Or boy, was that me? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's yeah, it's like, oh, okay. That's, wow. Well, um, I did write about... I, I thought it would be interesting. I was reading the hidden messages in water, and it's my second or second time reading that book. And um, Masaru Emoto writes, "When the ice returns to water, when ice returns to water, the particles become hundreds of thousands of times more active. The spaces fill in, making the liquid form of water denser and heavier than the solid form. For this reason, no matter how cold the temperature is above a lake." or other such body of water, the temperature at the bottom remains stable at four degrees Celsius. The result is that the living creatures of the lake are able to survive long winters under the ice. One, and he, he also says, one of the most mysterious things about water is that ice floats in it, right? Water particles align in a very regulated way with many large spaces between them. And I guess I just found that interesting because I was thinking about, we were talking about dissolution and how things dissolve, like how ice dissolves in water, you know, um, and, and, and the times when ice doesn't dissolve. I mean, I, I never even thought about that, that like on an, on a lake, right. If there's ice above a lake that there's still life can still continue, you know, at the, at the bottom of a lake, there's still a stasis that's happening. So with dissolution, it made me think about us as humans. And I was like, I think even when we are being, kind of put through, um, you know, traumas of some kind or, or life changes that are uncomfortable of some kind, no matter how severe they are, there is something in us that is also maintaining a stasis and an ability to be able to carry on and to take, to take on life, to still generate life inside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought about that in relationship to the water in our bodies and how water has memory and um, yeah, those, those are just some of my, my musings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a beautiful connection because there, I mean, in all, so many of the sacred practices speak to that the yes. unifying thing under the surface and it's just the surface stuff that's changing and shifting and but mm -hmm. what's 
the deeper layer, the deeper layer in the water is that maybe the thing that is unchanging. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So what we're really dissolving, I always think in so many of these practices, we're dissolving the ego. That's really what's getting. And that's what that card is called. It's called slay the ego. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So much of that. So, yeah, I wanted to take a big picture look at, at Desiree and, and her uh, amazing artistic pursuits. And, mm. and you brought up the word muse and musings. And when I think of you and I think of all, and I listen to you and all these places and sources of inspiration, there's so much rooted in the sacred and the spiritual and the feminine and the elements of earth. Um, and I dare say maybe even mystical. Um, and so, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm gathering from, from, from Very my- much so with you and so yeah if you could speak to that like what is your muse um oh i have so many (laughs) (laughs) i have so many um i would say my number one muse it feels funny to say it's the sacred feminine but i the reason why i feel like i can't say that is because i feel more like i'm her muse (laughs) you know um so there's that um, and then I would say, uh, my identity, my identity is, is complex, it's layered. So, um, I tend to gravitate the things that sort of feed me or inspire me a lot of times are, uh, source material, whether it's a person, a book or a, a work of art, um, by other folks who who are living or have lived complex identities. Um, I t- like my muses are usually women <laughs> are often women. Um, I, I, I tend to gravitate towards, um, uh, frightening, <laughs> frightening, unique, um, eclectic, um, uh, fierce, sometimes loud mouthed or, you know, just strange, strange girls like me. <laughs> so there's a little bit, I tend to, I tend to like that. Um, because I, I feel that as women, we have been trying to create a space to be ourselves fully and to give ourselves permission to be who we are fully. And whenever I come across women that really feel energetically, you can feel like, that this woman is in the seat of her power and she is really, she's just juicy, right? She's juicy. She's alive. She's mysterious. She makes you feel mysterious and, and alive. Um, so that, you know, music, um, we had the, uh, we, we, um, in a workshop that I did recently, I opened up my year, um, with Petra Cuppers uh, on the faculty uh, at the advisory faculty at Goddard, she was my uh, advisor last semester. I opened up the year with a melt movement research-based workshop that she facilitated called Home Launch. And as you know, Petra is a community performer. She is a professor of English literature at University of Michigan and and an author. She just published Gut Botany. Um, and she's also a disability activist. And so she, a lot of her work focuses on these somatic um, techniques and ways to um, connect with 
the visual world and the written world and the world inside of her body and the world inside of all of our bodies. So I did a video for my mythologies class last semester, mm-hmm. and it was about new visions for 2021 and beyond. And I did have the chance to share that. She asked me to share that. I was very honored with the group. And we used that to explore movement in our bodies. And I and I had never even thought to to do that. I never even thought that I could connect my visual work through movement in my body. So, you know, something, the reason why I brought that up is because um, I was thinking about dance and I was thinking about movement, which is another muse for me. Um, I, and music is another uh, muse for me. My husband's a musician. Um, and I just have always grown up loving music and very being very, I used to play flute for 10 years. And so um, my ear was trained to listen also to sound in a different way. Um, but we had to, one of the things she introduced me to is this concept of right, of introducing your artistic lineage. So I actually wrote that down and I can read that to you because those, those are my muses. Okay, so it's kind of a long list, but as a visual artist, um, of course I named my fourth grade art teacher, mm-hmm. Mrs. Nickelwitz. We used to call her Mrs. Nickelwitch because she had the, it's so, it, it's so ironic because I mean, she, she wore black. She had lots of bangles and weird eclectic earrings and silver nail polish. And she always had gray hair and she always seemed like she was in such a bad mood. And that's why we called her Mrs. Nickelwitch. And then later on, I, you know, as a second, third grade teacher in a similar scenario, I was like, wow, I'm just like Miss Nickelwitz. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I, we used to call you Miss Nickelwitch, which, you know. She's, I have a really great image in my head of this person. <laughs> <laughs> but she was awesome. She was really awesome. And then I realized, wow, you know, teaching to, like, middle school, like, elementary school is hard, you know. And I'm sure we weren't the most um, savory humans, <laughs> you know, in fourth grade. But um, Jim Thorpe, Claudia DeMonte, Catherine Cavanaugh, Patrick Craig, Richard Clank, Foon Shan, Kim Kindlesberger. Dr. Gail Jackson, Erica Eaton, Petra Cuppers, Peter Hawking, Andrea Parkins, Cynthia Ross. Um, And that's just like my formal art training and my formal, you know, and a lot of the ways that they've inspired me. um, I look at that relationship as very much one of mentor-student muse. Um, But otherwise, here's the list of artists. Betty Saar, you may recognize some of these. Betty Saar, Kara Walker, Jean-Michel Basquiat, Carol Rama, Shireen Neshat, Egan Shele, uh, uh, Juan Miro, uh, Clifford Still, Vasily Kandinsky, Vasily Kandinsky, excuse me, Anita Berber, Frida Kahlo, Salvador Dali, Cindy Sherman, Marina Abramovich, um, Tracy Emin, Adrian Piper, Joseph Boyce, Pina Bausch, William Kentridge, Nan Golden, Marisol, Martha Colburn, Lorraine O'Grady, Karen Finland. Um, Annie Sprinkle, Carly Schneeman, Yoko Ono, John Cage, Dorothy Iannone, Francesca Woodman, um, Kathy Grayson in the whole gallery, Cozy Fanny Tutti, Kemba Fowler, Martha Rosler, Judy Chicago, um, uh, Miriam Shapiro, Marlene Dumas, Pinar, Yola Khan, um, Cy Twombly, Willem de Kooning, Susan Rothenberg, Lizzie Borden, Amos Poe, Eric Mitchell, Lydia Lunch, Vivian Dick, Fellini, Sun Ra, Jibril Diop Mambeti, Mira Nair, Deepa Mehta, uh, Joan Mitchell, Julie Dash, Bill Gunn, Masahiro Shinoda, Agnes Varda, 
Kathy DeMonchot, Catherine Briat, David Lynch, John Waters, Rainier Werner Fassbender, Vera uh, Chaitalova, Chutso Itami, Alejandro Yodorowsky, Marcel Camus, Helio Otichika. I know I butchered that name. I'm so sorry. Lois Melu Jones, Howardina Pindell, Michaeline Thomas, Andy Warhol, Ellen Gallagher, Marin Hassinger, Oscar Mayos, Linda Montano, Pilar Albaracin, Carlos Saura, Henry Matisse, Monica Treyut, Yayoi Kusama, Hilma Afklint, Aye Eitan, Spike Lee, Namjoon Pak, Nagisa Oshima, Hokusai, Kaneto Shinodo, Usman Sembene, Oscar Michaud, Mo Digliani, Dusan Makavejev, um, Hal Ashby, um, Marie Lossier, Kenneth Anger, Jenny Holzer, Jen Ray, Clifford Owens, Hava Hess, Wes Anderson, Hannah Wilkie, Diamanda Galas, Miranda July, Chantel Ackerman, Sofia Coppola, Lisa Tolodenko, uh, uh, Jesus Franco, uh, Martin Scorsese, John Cassavetes, Stephanie Rothman, Nicholas Roeg, uh, Philip Kaufman, Vincent Gallo, Susan Pitt, Sally Kruikshank, uh, Joanna Priestley, Joanna Quinn, Renee Lalu, Network Awesome, Renee Ricard, Yash Chopra, Tamara Lampika. Wow. That's the, that would be, those would be my muses. Those are your muses. What a juicy list. <laughs> yeah. Love that idea of, of actually like making the list mm -hmm. of the people and the artists uh, who inspire you. In mm -hmm. forms. And I return to those people's works through books, through movie, through film. Um, and I couldn't, of course, this made me want to do, so, you know, then there's the musicians, right? And I didn't even get to the musicians. The music. Actually, there were some musicians in that list. Yeah. No. Um, but, you know, uh, muses, you know, uh, uh, riot girl music, <laughs> you know, um, you know, uh, like, ex X-ray specs. <laughs> uh, I was a big fan. Um, big fan of Susie and the Banshees. A big fan of um, uh, the Slits. Um, Slater Kinney, and just um, a lot of those. The Butchies. A lot of bands that I, I uh, girl bands that I just really love. Honeychild Coleman. Um, there's so many. There's just so many. It's so numerous. The music would be just impossible because right. I just felt like, but I do have genre, you know, genres that I'll return to. And I like, like watching film. Film is one of the ways that I, I nourish my practice. It feels, it's really grounding for me and inspiring to see the way people choose to tell stories, how they choose to weave together stories, um, and storytelling, um, Black women, blackness in general, like is always a muse, you know. Um, my my um, my African, anything African, anything um, black and African for me is very inspirational and exciting. And um, you know, and I didn't say this, you know, but like my my kids are they're inspiration, absolutely. Um, and I don't, I don't. It's like. You know, you're all, it's like you're in love with your kids, you know what I mean? So in, in a sense, in a sense, they, because of that, there's like this inspiration, but I don't know that I would call them quite my muse, you know? Um, they, they, I definitely feel that they factor into everything that I do and they're part of the story that I'm telling always, but, you know, I feel like muse is that thing that, and you know what, maybe yes, I guess, yes. You know, like you wake up in the middle of the night and you just got to write this thing down or you, I don't know that there's a line though, between like 
muse, like a, that three o'clock in the morning wake up moment that you have because you're worried about your children or there's an anxiety about something that you didn't take care of or, or their well-being versus the, the muse that wakes you up at three o'clock in the morning to write that very specific phrase because that's the, that is exactly what it was supposed to look like or to read a, a certain passage in a book or to draw something that, or to write down a dream. Like I feel like that's a very different sort of deeply spiritual, personal yeah, I wondered, I wondered if though it sparks both of those moments, you know, the, oh my gosh, the worry, oh, the great idea, like, is it? I feel like the muse, the muse is a generative, great idea, you know, I don't, like, when I feel inspired, I'm not worried, you know what I mean? Like, if I'm, if I'm up, and if I'm getting up like that, or I'm inspired to go in, like, I just have to put on this dress right now, you know, I'm usually feeling, there's a sense of, anticipation and mystery and hope, excitement. There's a sense of the unknown. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's like I'm following some, you know, trail and, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a dark park and I don't know where it's going to lead kind of thing. But I don't, I've, I usually, I feel present in, in, and aware in a, it's a shocking way almost, you know, but there's a little bit of shock in it. It's like, oh my god I just have to write that you know I oh my god it's like urgency urgency yeah there's an urgency um but not from a place of disaster or worry for me for me it's usually one of excitement joy and like just that something is um something is congealing or something is crystallizing. It's like this moment of crystallization, you know, where I'm like, that's the thing, you know. Or even, the, of course, food, <laughs> you know. Like, food's my muse. I don't, know, I don't know how I left that out. Um, but I love that. My God, I love to cook, and I love food. I do. I, I grew up in a house where my mom cooked everything from scratch. Both my parents are great cooks, but my mom pretty much dominated the kitchen, and she made everything. She made homemade bread, homemade croissants, homemade rolls, homemade egg rolls, homemade all the traditional Indian dishes in the, and from the north. She'd make my father's traditional African dishes. She'd make American food. So I just and then I I lived in Italy for a while. So I came back a, a big pasta snob. So, and so now, I mean, I'm, pasta is definitely a muse. Like, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah pasta is a muse. If I ever, like, if I see, okay, on YouTube, there's, you gotta, I don't know, I, it, it, may, it gets me by, okay? It's like a little guilty pleasure. Pasta grammar. Have you ever seen that? Pasta grammar. Please subscribe to that. It's basically this guy um, he's American and he's married to this beautiful Italian woman and it's, and everything is like an Italian tries American cheese, right? Or an Italian tries Gordon Ramsay's, um, spaghetti carbonara. And she's so hysterical. She'll try these. There even, there's some things that she's, you know, prepared for and she's like, I can't even. Sounds like my childhood. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, what is this? What is this? This is not, and then, or fettuccine Alfredo, <laughs> is it a real thing in Italy? Because, and so, you know, they have this whole weird matrix, like, like a, a sequence in the beginning where, you know, he falls asleep at his computer and then he sees these words written on the computer about the fettuccine, car, like about fettuccine Alfredo and if it's real, if it's really Italian or not, right? And you see all, how he's been up all night researching this. So when he gets downstairs, his wife, Ava, 
is in a black leather jacket with her back turned to him. And when she turns to him, she has the Matrix glasses on and is like, you know, are you ready to know the truth about Fettuccine? <laughs> and so they proceed to do the read. Like they, they talk about how there's, there, was some, the, there was a shopkeeper in 1907 um, in Rome that had, um, I just love this shit, you know, the sh- shopkeeper in Rome that uh, his wait, made a dish for his wife because she was pregnant and wanted the, the ingredients in what he was making to be nourishing for her and the baby. And so he made fet- fettuccine al- Alfredo. His name is Alfredo, <laughs> right? Um, Alfredo. <laughs> and so she's like, he, apparently it was so delicious, they decided to put it on the menu. And so people came to this particular shop in Rome to have this fettuccine al Alfredo, right? And so um, he makes, so then they have a cook-off, right? And uh, he makes his, and they make, and she makes the fresh pasta, right? So like you get to see her making the fresh pasta. So I, I, I mean, I am going all the way with this. I am getting the damn pasta maker. I am going to be making my own pasta soon. I can't, that, and I, oh, I'll tell you another one just a minute. And and so they make it, right? And he makes it the the American way, right? Which is like garlic, um, you know, uh salt, pepper, cream, butter, par- and pars and like, you know, pepper uh maybe parsley. And the, her ingredients, and she said the way they make it in Italy, she was like, okay, it's just butter. Parmigiano Reggiano. That's it. And so they make it, and his looks all creamy and stuff, like the way we would sit. And so, you know, she tastes it, and she's like, okay. You know, like this is... And and then she, and then they taste hers, and the look on his face, he can't even hide it. He's just like, how did you make it taste like that, right? What is it that you did to make it taste like that, right? And, like, she's like this is, you know, fettuccine al Alfredo. She was like, that Alfredo, he really knew something about pasta. <laughs> and so they, they do all of this for everything. A lot of, I think one time she she had like a frozen, maybe it's a, oh, she had macaroni, cracked macaroni and cheese. She just spit it out. She just like, couldn't even, she was just like, what, what is this? What is this? And I just love seeing that. Because I remember when I went to Italy and I ate the food, I was like, this is, this is how food this is supposed food. to taste. Right, and then you come back here, and you're like, "Oh, what is this?" I and I enjoy watching videos of Italians trying to eat American food, and some some of some of the folks on there are just like, "I I, I won't no," and just just smelling it, just looking at, it, they're like, "I I can't even begin to to entertain this." <laughs> so I love I do love pasta, and then I I learned from um, we have some great new faculty. Um, at Goddard, and uh, I, I learned from a faculty member about this other. Do I have my phone? This I, I got you. You got to see this. You've got to see this. It's this woman who makes her, all of this um, multicolored pasta out of these plant-based dyes. Hmm. It is no, 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 no. The thing. <laughs> so it's just interesting, right? Every now and then, I, I see something that's just like really extraordinary. And I have one more muse, which I'll tell you about. But this woman here is just, oh, salty Seattle. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This woman is amazing. 
She's really brilliant with what she does. And you know how she started this? She started putting the, um, you know, the, the plant-based dyes into the spaghetti to get her child to eat vegetables. Yeah. And it turned into something. I mean, she, the, what she's making, I'm going to put this in the chat too, is just, it's very artful. It's very artfully done and really creative. She makes rainbow pasta. I it's, just found it. You just found it. That is gorgeous. Oh my gosh. She is something else. Is it a plant dyes? Yes, they're all plant dyes. I'm putting her website in the uh, her uh, that in the chat, but they are. I mean, she has a book coming out. She does workshops as well, um, and yeah, her handle. I mean, if if you you know go to her Instagram, it's just she has seashells, hearts. She makes pizza pasta shapes, uh, dolls. Uh, there's a whole, there's even a pasta, uh, a sculpture of RGB. <laughs> yeah. There's like, I mean, ugh, it's just, it's really phenomenal. Wild. Um, and the shapes, the colors are really original and vibrant. Um, I mean, it's just, she's gone to a whole nother level with this. Pasta really can be your muse. <laughs> it can be your muse. And she sells the dough so you can make your own that is so amazing and she's wearing a pasta. isn't it right <laughs> i just i just remember seeing them like get the fuck out of here you know this is it it just i was really 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 blown away um when i saw that but yeah pasta is amused cooking is amused and i have to say that's probably in the kitchen my number one so if i see like just know it's just like the simple ingredients. Like another show I like is like this, uh, what's her, um, Azerbaijani woman who cooks on a stump and she grabs, she goes to the trees to get all her herbs and everything and just puts it in the pot, you know, and it's like some that. freshly slaughtered lamb shank or something. And <laughs> she yeah. just, it's just so, um, earthy and, um, Without pretense, it's just cooking. And just to even see her hands as they're working, um, you know, when whether she's, like, rolling a meatball or she's, like, chopping a vegetable and the type of knife that she uses, you know, I, I, just, I just love that stuff, you know. So the kitchen, I love recipes and things like that. I mean, sometimes all I have to do is hear somebody be like, oh, like, I remember we had, I met these two um uh, individuals who were staying with, living with a friend of mine for just a, a short time they were visiting. They're from France, from Paris. And they were talking about Beauf Bourguignon. And I was like, what the hell is that? And so as soon as they told me what it was, I was determined to make it. I was like, oh, I'm making this. I am making this. So when they went, I, I forget what we did. We went to the beach. We got lost trying to go to the beach. And then maybe the next day or something on their way out, I made it. And um, I was really honored because they were like, how did you do this? How did you know how to make this? I was like, I don't. I don't know how to make it. I just was really inspired to make it. And I made it, of course, with plain spaghetti. That's, that's what I made it with. Um, but that's like, like, okay, another muse moment. And this is my, I'm just going to out myself here. Okay. So Moonstruck, okay, the movie, <laughs> Moonstruck, the movie, Cher, when she is um, with Nick Cage in the kitchen and she makes a mistake. 
And he's like, I like my steak, you know, medium well. She's like, well, you're going to eat this one bloody to feed your bones, you know. And so she makes him a steak, and it's like just plain spaghetti on the side with a little bit of the au jus. To this day, I make that. And it's one of my favorite go-to meals. Every now and then I'll get a steak because I don't really eat a lot of meat. But every now and then, I, I that's it is like one of my go-tos. So pasta and sauces and just it's it's a it's a thing. Yeah, well, thing over here. You know, thinking about what you were talking about earlier with like water and dissolution and fire and there's so much of that in the kitchen. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's so true. All the elements are there: the air, the aroma, what you're smelling. It's a very sensory experience. It's like a full-bodied. It's a very embodied thing. I oh, feel yeah. to go in and cook and. And then to eat. A lot of times what's ha been happening to me and increasingly as I get older is I'll cook. And it's the chef syndrome thing of you cooked it and you, you smelled it. You might have tasted it. And then maybe you're not quite as hungry to eat it. Like a lot of times I feel so fed, you know, um, and nourished sensory-wise by the experience of making it and preparing it that I'm just not hungry for it later. Yeah. That happens a lot. I'm satisfied already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was being fed in other ways, right? I was being fed. I was totally being nourished in in, in other ways. You know, in in some Hindu customs, actually, um, it's forbidden to taste the food before you serve it because it, it's considered to be like it, like not tasting it is like your offering. You know, it's not. It's 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 very. I, and I don't know as much about that custom as I would like, but I do know that it that it exists. You so. can't partake of the offering. It's for the gods. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Which well, is when you're cooking for your family, even apparently you don't taste the food. I was like, well, then how do you know if it's salty? Right. It's not good. My, my Italian mother would be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, unless you get to the point where you've made something nine million times and you know, right? But I, I'm not there yet. You know, I, t I do taste. I do taste. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. I have to. You know? <laughs> and then I have uh, my family come in and taste because they got to eat it too. They got to like it. Right. Right. Exactly. Or sometimes I'll just be like on the DL really feeling what I just made. And before I've served it, I'll go give my husband a little, you know, if, if he's waiting for a long time. Or sometimes the boys just come in and stick their fingers and stuff. I'm like, don't put your fingers in it until I'm done. But they, you know. They like I like to give them taste if it's taking a long time to prepare or they've been waiting and they're hungry. But, um, yeah. yeah. And then this is a great segue to the next um, muse, which is sex, right? It's sex. It's eros. It's eroticism. Um, I'm also a Scorpio. So, um, you know, so much of my gateway learning experiences um, have to do with that cycle of life, birth, death, you know, and sex is very much... A part of that, you know, um, in, in, in all of the, you know, in every single archetypal experience, you know, sex is very much about the birthing of something new, you know, it's also about the living, being alive, the aliveness, the being present in your body, right? And then there's also the death, right, that happens as well, you know, um, le petit mort, you know, I know that they, that's, the orgasm is called such a thing by the French for a reason, the little death, you know. Um, and so I think, you know, from a young age, I was always intrigued and always curious. But I do feel that the relationship uh, uh, to pleasure, um, to joy, to being in your body, to honoring your body, um, your body's life force, um, 
is something that definitely is a continuous source of inspiration. Um, a lot of my work um, is rooted in wanting to unpack that relationship more deeply. Um, and so in my tantric studies, I'm a student, but I'm not initiated in a, pra- in, in a lineage as yet. Um, they say, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher comes. Um, but I've just been reading a lot. I've been studying with different teachers and taking different workshops um, and learning about the nature of sexual energy, which we understand is the expression of the life force in the body saying hello, right? I'm here. And a lot of times we apprehend that immediately as like a physical, visceral response and energy, but it really is um, this anim- animated intelligence that has is moving and has movement and move in in our in our bodies and can be gen- and it's generated and cultivated through our relationship to sex and our sexual lives. And I also feel like sex encourages play and creativity. Um, besides it being like a tension reliever for me, you know, it's also just that moment of like, uh, a lot of times afterwards, I'm just inspired to eat, you know, it's like, mm, it's a whole cycle. I just want to eat. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole cycle, right? And, and there's so many films, there's so many films about that, right? So when you think of, um, what is it? And then the book, right? Eat, Pray, Love. Um, there's also the, there's a great Japanese film called Tampopo, which is about the art of eating ramen. Um, highly recommended. If you haven't seen it, you must watch it. Um, Tampopo, I'm going to put it here. I'm also thinking of Like Water for Chocolate. Like Water for Chocolate. I'm also thinking of Babette's Feast. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also, um, there's so many. My God. Like Water for Chocolate, Babette's Feast. Um, uh, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and her lover right. is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are just God, there's another one, another major one that I feel like I'm leaving out. But so many, you know, some of the greatest, most romantic, uh, inspiring, weird movies have to do with cooking or with like Fellini's Roma, that movie. There are so many scenes of them at the restaurant and have what they order to eat. And there's a what I went, remember one particular scene where, you know, this woman who's flirting with the tor- the tourist guy that's sitting at the table is like, you know, I make it's like it's like cooked goat brains or something like that. But she's talking about how she makes it so delicious, and you know we're hearing this. I'm hearing this, and I'm like, that does not sound appetizing to me. <laughs> but the woman next to her. She's like, I heard what she said, and I don't cook mine like that. She's like, and that's why I don't go to the restaurant to cook that. If I'm going to make that, I do. I put mine in this, and I put mine in this, and I do this. Her, nope. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. And you see, you, you cut to the scene of this girl, this uh, little girl who's eating this massive piece of lasagna. And or, or, or I, I, don't, I don't know what it was, but it looked delicious. But she just, you know, tomato sauce all over her face and... Um, I just, I, I think, I think food and, um, things, right. Things that, that communicate something of our purpose here, communicate something of what it means to be living, what it means to be alive, uh, indulgence, you know, I, I know that we are relationship to food, um, 
And so I know that it's important to be mindful about how we consume food, where we get it from, how it's cultivated, and all of those things. I also think food is something that is meant to be enjoyed. It's important to be mindful of how we consume it and how we, um, in our relationship to it, where, where we, is the food, are the sources of food that we consume sustainable? Are they sustainably produced? Um, you know, who, that whole, and, there, and then there's plenty of documentaries and books about kind of our relationship to food and the food crisis in the world right now. So I don't mean to be, you know, I'm not putting that out, out of the window. I'm just saying that I think that food is, uh, is meant to be enjoyed and it comes from the earth. It comes, I, I connect food with love and I know a lot of us do. And sometimes it's like, it's like the, the ways we connect into the love or the lack of love, right, that we feel often determine our relationship to what we eat or how we eat it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I do feel that, um, like, one of the things that I'm dreaming of, oh, another muse, is um, we'd like to purchase our own home and to move upstate. We live in the city right now. I wanted to uh, create an environment where we all have more of a relationship to the land and the consciousness of the land. Um, we would like to grow our own food. And, you know, eating things that are fresh off the land, you know, there's nothing like it. There's really nothing like it. You can taste the difference in the quality of the vegetable. You can taste the, the, the what you know, the photosynthesis that took place in the plant. It's just, there's something about it that's so sacred. So I do look at food as a sacred offering. And I, I, I believe that, um, you know, when my mom made food, uh, you know, it was always a sacred offering. You know, the way she prepared it was always prepared with so much love. You know, if I'm not in a good place, I don't like to cook because I don't want that in the food, you know. Um, and if somebody else is in that place, you know, I don't want that food either, <laughs> you know. So I just, I, I think it's an interesting connection, um, that has been explored creatively in a number of different ways. Even what's that? What's the Disney cartoon about the the rat ratatouille? Oh, ratatouille. <laughs> and that's another one about food, you know. And here's this hard critic who's kind of a big asshole, you know, who finally gets you know his 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 um his mouth shut up by a rat that makes something that his mom used to make for him, you know, like a ratatouille. You know, and it was this, and he had this warm memory of what that was like for him and what that meant to him. And I, I think, I think, uh, I, I, I feel, yeah. So, you know, for all those reasons, that's why food is a muse. Yeah. Me. And I think, and you were talking about food and you were kind of weaving in like sexuality and sex with that. But like, oh, yeah. Because it's, so, it's yeah. desire, right? It's like there's yes. a desire that leads the way. And there's a desire. And it's also about the, the, again, going back to the sensory and how, how we're not so different than the, the vegetables and plants and we're not so different than the fish that we're eating. They're not so different from us, you know. So there's also this recognition of um, the, these essential qualities, you know, um, in, in foods that are like us, that are like our bodies or that produce substances or aromas that are very similar to what you know, uh, our, our composition, you know, so, you know, aphrodisiac foods is always a, just a lovely conversation to have, you know, um, and that's why you got to watch Tampopo. 
you, you gotta watch Tampopo. You gotta watch Tampopo. I don't even want to give the scenes away. Um, but it is, and then it's gonna make you want to have some ramen. I, I promise you, it will. Some real ramen from <laughs> a ramen house. Um, but you know, the, the, the act of slurping noodles and how sexual that is and how, you know, uh, there are different, they're essential, what a sensual thing it is, you know, to look at someone's mouth when they're slurping soup or when they're, or they have to, or someone who's eating oysters or what that experience is like, you know, fresh oysters or, um, chocolate, you know, fondue, <laughs> all of those delicious foods, honey, mangoes, you know, um, and so food is, is very, I think it's a very sacred thing. And I think the cuisines around the world are really kind of an embodiment of, and especially the, the artfulness with which everything is prepared and how it's offered, how it's plated, is really recognition, I think, on a human level of how, how important and sacred food is as a gift to us, you know. So, and, and, and why we have to take care of it. And this is why I don't understand why Monsanto exists, <laughs> you know. I really don't. Well, that's um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, Desiree, this is this conversation has been a total delight for my senses. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thank you. Now I'm like, do I want ramen? I know. Do I'm I like spaghetti. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I got a sandwich from this uh I got a sandwich with uh um my husband this morning delivered because I did not go to the grocery store. I was just rinsed after the residency and it's like it's like pesto uh and basil and fresh mozzarella and tomato on on a on a focaccia. Yeah. And it's delicious. Awesome. I think I'm gonna go heat it up. Yeah, sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm always inspired um, by you, you know. Oh, you, really... you inspire me too. I love that you're doing this work. Oh, you know, I love that you're doing this work and that you're doing this deep dive. And I could not help but think about you. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, I got to send this to Angie. <laughs> it, it literally is. It was a photograph of, um, and it's in Naples, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was, yep. Yeah, yeah, it was in Naples, in uh, Napoli. And, um... Your family is from Sicily, Sicilia. Yeah. 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 I think that's really uh are Alessandra, what's her last name? Belongi, Do you know her? Right? Yes, yes. Yeah. She's she just came out with a book, right? Yeah, the I have it, yeah, the the Black Madonna. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was gonna get that book and um ask you about what you thought of it. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I've been following her. I actually bought one of her tambourines. Um what? To follow, yeah, the work that she does and what she's tapping into is it's a, a very inspiring as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I'm definitely going to look that up. Um, but yeah, if you were looking in the background, you saw my Sistrum. I saw that. Yeah, it took me a moment yeah. to pull those that rattle. Like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, that's my Sistrum. Oh, um, I'm winded all of a sudden. Yeah. It's been a delight. It's so it's been such a treat. It's always a treat. It's yeah, always a treat. I know. I have to. I just talk with you quarterly. You just have to. Yes. Yeah. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah. Yes. You're. You're such a joy, uh -oh. and I'm really grateful that you um, are. I get to be anywhere near you on this journey, uh -oh. and I, I love to support in any way that I can. So, you know, keep up 
the amazing work that you're doing. You sound like you have a lot of pots on the stove, but you I do. It also sounds like you're handling it really well. Yeah. There's a lot of pots yeah. on the stove. And I want it. I'd let you. Exactly. I know. Womp, womp. Um, I would love to hear what you think of Tempopo after you watch it. All right. Now I have an assignment. Yes. Yes. Awesome. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. And um, you're so welcome. You want to add or share as if we, you know, we put this out. Is there anything? Um, I've got some links. I think I covered like all, I mean, nature, of course, right. You know, nature is always the muse. You know, there are, I, the way I feel on a sunny day in the summertime versus how I feel on a rainy day in the winter, um, you know, the weather definitely inspires my mood. Um, there are certain movies or like tastes or sounds. I'm a very, I'm just, my husband used to call me when we were for dating, he used to call me Desiree of the senses. I was like, shut <laughs> up. So I just, I just like, you know, I, I, I enjoy opportunities to engage my senses. And so it's beautiful out. I mean, it's been like nonstop snowing, but just watching it fall is very calming and grounding and, um, you know, elementally water is always the muse for me. I find myself thinking more clearly when I'm near a body of water. I find myself feel breathing more deeply, um, feeling more magical. Um, I, I do feel that, you know, each individual has certain relationships to the elements and there are some people who really have powerful relationships to trees, for instance. And when they go to, into a forest, they, something happens to them, you know, because there, there's a recognition on a soul level, I feel, of that person's connection to that, that particular natural entity. And, um, I just, received a book from a friend and I don't and I think it's the title is Behaving as if the God in all life mattered. It's a book by um Mikhail Small Wright. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but um she was uh, had a very difficult and uh traumatizing childhood. But and out of that experience she developed an ability to hear and um communicate with the natural spirits or entities in nature and developed a whole farm. Like a, she has a farm um, that's uh, based on co-creative uh, farming, like listening to what nature is actually asking for and wants. It's also, those are very indigenous practices as well. Um, that's a lot of that, that just that concept that actually that plant hasn't, hasn't, has a consciousness and, and can communicate. Um, you know, many of the first nations tribes, when they talk about their relationship to the earth, we're told what to pick, when to pick it, how to use it, how to render it by the plants themselves, by the energy of the of the food itself or the herb. And um, so this is what you know her this book is about. And I just think that that's interesting. Um, you know, I I partic- I feel that water speaks to. Me. I feel very connected to water, and so. Um, I definitely feel a strong relationship to water in that sense. Some people feel that about fire, and some people feel that about stones, and some people feel that about mountains, some people feel that about uh, the wind, you know. Um, and so I, I, I think that spending time in nature just listening is always a source of inspiration for me. Uh, my favorite, really one of my favorite things to do is is be in the ocean or to um, be uh, 
you know, uh, by, by a body of water or a lake. Uh, recently we went to Woodstock, which is where we are, um, we'd like to move, either Woodstock or Socrates. And, um, and uh, we rent, I rented a cabin um, for myself and my husband. I tried to get my kids to come along, but after the quarantine over the summer, they just wanted to be with their grandparents. So it was just my husband and I, and it was, it was a cottage, actually, not a cabin. And um, I didn't know, and maybe I just skipped that because I was just so anxious to get out of the city, um, that uh, there was this beautiful creek in the back of the house. I mean, it was really gorgeous. And then there's all this sculpture, art sculpture. We were right behind a cemetery, like the artists. We were behind the artist cemetery, apparently. Um, but it was so gorgeous to get up and wake up and just walk outside barefoot to the creek. And the house was off the main road. Um, it was like my dream. It was a dream. Like, that's what I would like, you know, um, for myself and my family. Um, but just listening to the water. That's one of my favorite things to do, listening to the way it sounds, um, you know, when it's uh, flowing um, over the rocks, you know, and the wind is blowing and the, and the trees are full. Uh, I, I, I just love water. Um, so I, I would end there. <laughs> I'd say water is that those, those are my <laughs> It sounds to me like the, yeah. that water is like almost number one, if not number one. It's up there. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I kept. I think I talked about that the entire time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, there's wait. Is there another? I'm trying to think. If I come up with any other movies about food, <laughs> I'll let you know because there's some that I know that I wanted to name, and then and I'm, we're gonna get off, and I'm gonna be like, damn it, that's the one that I wanted her to know. But um, at eleven eleven or one eleven, whenever you can remember me and my husband, my family, we're just saying prayers to manifest this, we'll manifest this house uh, sooner than later. So I can do these types of things and I can invite people over the house for workshops and retreats and I can do my own, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I want to do to be of service to my community, my family and to the earth. And we didn't even get into the blood in your so. home in Woodstock. I'm only, about, I'm only about two yes, I, I told my husband, I said, Oh no! You have a standing invitation. You you just always will have a standing invitation. But my 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 husband, um, you know, uh, yeah, he um, we want to make sure that he's in a space. I think I might have shared this with you. He was diagnosed with a very rare form of muscular dystrophy, but last year around this time, and it's been a very difficult year. But we want to be in a house that we can kind of create uh, and build up so that it's friendly and it's what he needs. Um, and my kids keep asking me for a dog. So I, I'm like, I'm not having, I'm not getting a dog in this, and, but we'll take care of it. It's like, you don't even, you don't even flush the toilet. You know what I mean? Like when you're done peeing. So like, can you not, oh, but we have, a, you know, cause they, 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 they house sit for some dog, you know, at, at, at their dad's house. But I'm like, that's great for him. That's great. I still have to wake you up to get, you know, to do virtual school. Okay. So. No. The answer is no. And if we have a house, I, that's the only time I'd entertain it. Yeah. It's because well, we, I, I can justify the dog. The dog can be out in the world and come back and have a real place to actually be. But right now, I'm not going to do mm -mm, No. Well, I'll hold that, that thank uh, you. manifestation for you, too. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for continuing to keep me on your radar. And I'll be doing the same. And um, 
And I'll look forward to the next time. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, and, and just take care. Thank you. I shall, and you too, with your family. And congratulations on your podcast. Oh, well. And, um, okay. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Well, I'll be, you know, putting all of those things on my altar too. So, well, yeah. Um, always a joy. Complete always joy a joy. An inspiration to chat with you, Desiree. Oh, thank you. Here, enjoy the snow. <laughs> I will. Inside. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and you're sending it my <laughs> Until way. it's done. When it's done, it's not coming down like that. I, th- I, w- I will go outside. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm so happy to chat with you. Me too. Enjoy your stay with me. You have been listening to Alter to the Muse podcast, a production of Jai Studios, LLC. Visit us at altertothemuse.com for more.